Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Let me talk to you. Yeah. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. You are tuned into the entertainment edition of the ODPH, and we definitely want to interact with you after the show. So, Pad, where does everybody head to? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. You swing on over to the website, check out all the social media links, sign up for them, because obviously with the fate of Twitter looming, uh, we have a lot of other places we want to interact with everybody there. Uh, and all we have to say is fuck Elon Musk. Pretty much. Because, obviously, unless you're not paying attention, there's a lot of things going on on that app. And, obviously, that is our biggest one that we have the most interaction with. So, we're directing everybody. Check us out on Facebook. Check us out on Instagram, TikTok, wherever you find the ODPH. We're definitely interacting there. Uh, and if you want to text Ken directly, you can text him at 281-330-8004. Okay. Mike Jones. Oh, my God. Mike Jones. Oh, my God. Throwback. Is that number still active? I sure should hope not. I hope... Uh, for those of you who don't know, there was a, a hip hop song in what, like 2004, 2005, yeah. where the song sang 281-330-8004, and they'd say Mike Jones, and so somebody, well, a lot of someone's wanted to see if the number actually worked, and it did, and it was somebody's actual phone number, and that was back before unlimited calling was a thing. Oh my god! And so they were getting calls before nine o'clock. Oh my god! Yeah, that per- I- that person had a lot of trouble. I forgot about that number. Yeah. I'm going to have to try that after the show. We'll see. But after I swing through the rest of the website, because obviously we got the blog section going on, we have the directory pad. How many providers are we on? Oh, 730,000. Sounds about right to me. The classified section, where you can find friends of the show, such as 3FN Podcast, Dragon Master Games, Nerd Initiative, and so many more. The music section, where you can find out everything going on with the music here on the ODPH. So you want to check out the new things coming out from Brian Wolf and the Howlers in Austin, Texas, if you're down there. I'll listen to us. Thank you. And make sure to go check them out live. Shout out the robots locally. They're putting on a lot of great things. Tom Jolu, uh, Floodlands, the list goes on and on. So basically to sum it up, if it's anything, everything, it is the ODPH. You can find it at odphpodcast.com. And always remember on social media to use the hashtag ODPHpod. Kicking off the entertainment edition of the ODPH, we have to recap the latest episode from the smash hit from Marvel Studios and Disney+. Plus. Secret Invasion. Hell yeah. The Nick Fury-led show has garnered a lot of attention, and obviously with the hype behind it, knowing how his character has been out of the limelight since Avengers Endgame, dipping back in, and obviously knowing his connection to Captain Marvel and Mm -hmm. what's going on there. Fans have been very excited to see what's going on, and obviously doing the interpretation of a legendary Marvel comic storyline a lot of eyes are really analyzing the show. And it feels like the first project we've had since Endgame, I would say, that's kind of like had the Avengers feel to it. Mm-hmm. There's been big movies. Obviously, you had Spider-Man No Way Home. You know, Quantumania had a big story going on. You know, Doctor Strange had a big story going on. But this is the first one we've had since Endgame, at least for me, that's felt like it's had that like Avengers level, what the shit, you know, oh my God, this is crazy. 
you know, there's a lot of implications and a lot of stuff that could potentially fall out from the results of where this show goes. Well, in comparison to a lot of the other shows, knowing that Nick Fury, who is being played once again by Samuel L. Jackson, mm-hmm. Talos by Ben Middleson, are really bringing a serious tone back. Yeah. Where we've had a little more, I don't want to say lighthearted. Quirky. But quirkiness in yeah. some of the other MCU shows. Yeah. That this one feels very grounded, and especially if you're fans like we are of Captain America the Winter Soldier. Hell yeah. This is something that feels different than we've seen recently, and that's one thing I really love about this show. Mm-hmm. And obviously, how they're handling the storyline, too, has been very fun to watch. Play yeah, out. yeah, because it's not a one-to-one adaptation of the comic. No, absolutely not. So that being said, we if you're new to the OUPH, first and foremost, thank you for checking us out. What we'd like to do is give a spoiler-free statement about the episode we are going to be talking about. So if you haven't seen it yet, you have our opinions on it, so you can decide if you want to go watch it right now or come back later and see it. But regardless of that fact, we do put a timestamp in the episode. So after we give you a countdown... We go deep diving into spoilers, mm-hmm. so we're not going to ruin anything for you. If you decide to stick on and listen through it and you haven't watched it yet, we give you the, the most warnings, I think, of any podcast going Probably. to avoid if you need to. But that being said, Pad, I want to hear your spoiler-free statement about Episode 2 of Secret Invasion entitled Promises. Fantastic episode. Wasn't a lot action-wise, but it didn't need it necessarily because it was obviously dealing with the fallout from episode one and all the ramifications with that. And this was kind of like a politics-heavy episode, which given the the subject matter and given kind of what they're borrowing from, you know, with the feel of the Captain America Winter Soldier vibe, you know, the Civil War vibe, you know, it was an, it, it, the action wasn't needed for this episode that. You know, there was plenty of action with just what was said on screen and the implications that were, you know, implied on screen, you know, but overall, incredible episode. Very solid episode. I like how they're doing the slow burn for this. Yeah, I do too. They're taking their time. They're really establishing about how the scrolls have been setting up for this moment for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And they are borrowing certain elements from the comic series, which I do love. Yeah. And I understand how they're flipping it a little bit. But I think it plays out more here than it did in the comic, if that makes sense. Uh Because in this setting, it has a lot more realism of a threat. Right. In the comics, it felt like a big event, Uh but it was missing a shock value. Right. Because of who the Skrulls were impersonating at the time, because if anybody's not familiar with them, they are shape-shifting aliens. Yep. So to see what they're doing in this scenario i think is playing into a real fun story to watch along Mm -hmm. and now you're questioning who is who and it's really diving into this and i think this episode really gave a lot of fans questions to be talking about yeah and i think that as the series is progressing because there is only six episodes in the entire season we are going to start picking up the pace very soon oh yeah and i feel that we got some big ramifications coming out of this one but i think that this is where things really start picking up steam so that being said, Pad, let's get into it in three, two, one. Talk to me. No, the episode was fantastic. A lot of implications, especially with the council meeting uh, that went on probably about halfway through the episode. That was very intriguing. Uh, I like maybe the little dig they took at the comics partway through where uh, I know Rhodey brought up at one point calling the Avengers and Nick Fury kind of shot that idea down. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's a little, that's a little nod to the comics. So that was that was fun. Uh, but no, Nick Fury was great in this. Ben Mendelsohn was awesome in this. And like I said, there wasn't a lot 
action wise and like oh my gosh the spectacle of you know that action sequence and that fight sequence that took place on the insert location here it didn't really need it because there was plenty of it in the last episode that like okay we hit you with the big action sequences in the opening episode we got to bring you back down a little bit before we ramp it back up i agree i really think that the pairing of talos and fury you're seeing two sides of the same coin yeah and I think that how driven they are to figuring out how to stop Gravik has really been shining through here, and especially with Ben Middleson's performance. Yeah. Because now he's taken on this very active role in the story. Mm-hmm. Not to say that he was playing in the shadows before. Right. But I think now him especially being a scroll representative to the, the humans right. has really seeing he's seeing the big picture is where i'm going with it yeah he's seeing the big picture and i think he's got a broader idea of what's going on Mm -hmm. just because he is a scroll so i mean and i know he brings up you know fury being gone for five years in the episode that it that it feels like he knows their back is against the wall because he ultimately wants to see the good outcome for this and that you know the humans aren't wiped out and the scrolls don't take over the planet but Fury, meanwhile, is still dealing with, you know, the ramifications of, let's be honest, a little PTSD of what happened from the events of the blip. Yeah. That, you know, it, it's even brought up in the episode that Talos brings up, like, listen, you showed back up, got scared and ran away. Mm-hmm. It does play into a lot of different factors, especially with how they ended the episode. Yep. But I love how they kick things off here because we do start off in 1997. So this is coming off right after the Captain Marvel movie. Like literally taking place before the end of it. Mm-hmm. And Fury is making a plea to the Skrull refugees that we saw in Captain Marvel. And this is where he's making the promise about helping them find a new home planet. Mm -hmm. That obviously Earth is not going to be it, but he's he's making this big impassioned plea that, yes, I'm here to help you. It's almost like a politician plea. Yeah. That's how it came across to me. Politician or even for me like a General Patton, you know trying to rile up the troops and, and get them going like, hey, let's win one for victory type of type of deal. Yeah. So when he's doing this, he is getting met with a mixed reaction from the crowd. Yeah, they're not. Well, because they've been through a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, they've it hasn't exactly been an easy road for them to get there. And just as it seems like they've got pretty good setup, I'd say all of a sudden it's like, all right, we can sit here. We can kind of take it easy. We can relax. No, you can't. No, you scratch my back. I scratch yours. Exactly. And I think they're very weary about trusting a human. Yeah. And understandably so. Yeah. When you've been burned as many times as they have in their travels, you you get a little wary. Mm -hmm. So as Fury's making his plea, there is somebody in the audience that is definitely not on board with this. And that is a young Gravik. You see, I, I wouldn't necessarily say he's not on board. He seems skeptical. Well, I say that's, which, which is understandable because he, he's not an adult. He's not a child. I would say if we had to like and, and granted, we don't know how scrolls age. Mm-hmm. But if I had to give him like a human age, I'd say he was maybe 11, 12 years old. So there's there's some honest skepticism in, with him. Right. But it just kind of seems like he's not on board to begin with. And obviously yeah. the skeptical yeah. nature of him makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. But he's just watching as everybody's reacting to this, and you're seeing everybody from Talos's wife to yeah. other people just immediately jump in and are like are fully in about this dream. Well, and I, well, and I think the first one that volunteers is his mother, if I'm not mistaken. I, I believe it's either Talos's wife or his mother. Yeah, well, it was, or, or it was one of the two. But you you start seeing everybody's really coming around yeah. rather quickly. Was I the only one looking to see if there were any Easter egg of who they turned into in that part? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Didn't see. Didn't recognize anybody. No, no. But no. I figured they might slip something in. Yeah. They didn't slide in anything there. They did slide in a couple things later on. Though. Oh. 
But we go right to the present time. And this is when Fury is recapping with Talos about what has just happened, because obviously they had the explosion in Russia. Right. The the Russian authorities try to arrest them because <laughs> they're hanging around the crime scene. Mm-hmm. Gravik immediately GTFOs. Yes. And just casually walks out of there like nobody's like, oh, I have no idea what happened. Meanwhile, Fury kind of hangs around and uh, almost gets arrested. Mm-hmm. But Talos winds saving him. Yep. They escape. Yep. Maria Hill is dead. Yeah, there is an American who is apprehended and is seen getting put in handcuffs while yelling, I'm an American, I'm an American, I'm an American. Right. So at the time, we're not sure who this person is. Right. But this does get cleared up a little later as we go. Yes, yes. But this is where Fury is trying to process what just happened. Yeah, because he, Fury's the type of guy that likes to know every possible scenario for a, a situation before he walks in. Uh, this is one scenario he was not prepped on. No, absolutely not. So as he's breaking everything down with Talos, he does get very, very angry. Yeah. Because Talos, as much as he's helping Fury, he's not unveiled all his cards. Yeah, because Fury's wanting to play the game of, like, tell me something I don't know. And Talos starts to tell him something. He's like, yeah, that's great. I already know that. Mm-hmm. Tell me something. I know. You know, it's like a, it's like a game in the spy business. Mm-hmm. You know, let's give you, you know, you tell something you don't know. I tell you something I don't know. Or however that works. Exactly. And I think how they play that off, I mean, this is where I say they're two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Both of them want to know everything. Mm-hmm. But both of them don't know everything. And they're right. And now you're starting to see more trust issues right. build, especially with Fury being gone for so long. Right. And I don't think he realizes that. I think he just expects everything to go back to normal. Right. Well, obviously, that would be all nice and hunky-dory, but uh, that ain't how it works. Right. And during this conversation, Talos reveals, well, there's a lot more scrolls on this planet than you think. How many? About a million. He goes, what the? So Fury is absolutely flabbergasted. He, yeah, he, he's, he's floored. He's absolutely shocked by this. And now he is just sitting there going, wait, there's an invasion going on and we're just sitting here quietly about it? Yep. Like I say, the reactions and the acting of you know Jackson and Middleson in this really stood out mm-hmm. because you're seeing the fractures start in their friendship. And I think this is a, a major key point to this. Yeah. Because obviously if you can have the fractured friendship, mm-hmm. it's going to make for some more dramatic moments because both of them have an idea about how to stop this. Yeah. They just can't. Well, and there's a lot of missing information we, we the viewer don't know mm-hmm. because the the facts as we know them is the events of captain marvel happened she left with a spaceship of i don't know how many mm-hmm. in an effort to find them a new world something happened along the way and come to find out a million came back and are on earth and have been on earth for like the last 30 years or, yeah. or whatever it is so what happened in that meantime in between time of captain marvel and whenever they can, because we don't know when they came back. We just know that they came back at some point mm-hmm. and, and more of them came back. So there's a lot of information we don't know. And I can't help but wonder <laughs> if this all isn't a game of like telephone where you were told certain information, but it got misconstrued so many times that the original message got lost in translation. Yeah, but this is going to play a big factor as we're going on, because now. With all this new revelation coming out, Fury is seeing they're just reeling. Yeah, and he even tells uh, Talos at one point, get the fuck off the train. This is your stop. Yeah. So this is now causing a big wedge between them. He doesn't even have time to grieve over Maria Hill. Right. He has to go back to the U.S. 
Yep. And he does have a very uncomfortable conversation with uh, Maria Hill's mother, Elizabeth. Yeah. Played by Juliet Stevenson. Yeah. Yeah. A real emotional scene. Very emotional scene. Yeah. Because of basically uh, how much Maria Hill trusted Fury. And yeah. I, well, and, and the mother, obviously, given the fact that her daughter is done, wants to know. And she asked the government representative, you know, somebody in one of the branches, I forget which one. She asked what had happened to her daughter, and all they would tell her is that the country owes your your daughter a great uh, debt of gratitude. Yeah. And she's like, that's great and all, but it doesn't tell me what happened to my daughter. Yeah. And she confronts Fury and goes, tell me what happened to my daughter. She goes, and he tells her, well, she you know, he she died quickly. Mm-hmm. That's, all, that's great and all, it's still, I need more. And he goes, all right, fine, we were in Moscow. Yeah. He, ha- he can't reveal everything because of the business they're in. And he also can't trust anyone because he doesn't know if there's a scroll or not. Exactly. Because he just went from, oh, there's a small contingent of scrolls on Earth to, yeah, there's a million. Mm-hmm. So it's a very emotional scene, very powerful scene as they're going back and forth about it because now Fury is realizing the gravity of the situation. He's realizing like, the scope, yeah. Yeah, because now he can't trust anybody. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile... Gravik is making some moves. Yeah, yes. With almost his own Illuminati, if you will. Kind of, yeah. Because as the U.S. is now getting blamed for the attack in Russia, he's meeting with a very quiet council, if you will. Something. That, like I say, when I first saw this, is like, oh, this kind of reminds me of the comics Illuminati a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. Because bit. you have a lot of powerful figures in here especially one playing the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Right. One is the head of NATO. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing how Gravik is sitting there and saying how he wants to progress things forward. Mm-hmm. And he has been so imposing in this situation, too, that is really connecting with the viewer at home about how dedicated he is to his cause. Kingsley Ben-Adir, who plays him, has been absolutely rocking in this role. Yeah. And just how he is sitting there being patient when he needs to, but driving his points home when he when he absolutely has to, it's really been playing into this favor of just how committed he is to his cause. And just to see about how he's riling up everybody about this is playing a big factor because – Gravik is now getting support, and he's on the verge of just unleashing the forces of the Skrulls. Mm-hmm. And obviously, he has a lot going on, too, so it's not like he's just going to go in blindly. Like, how calculating he's been about this. Right. And especially planting Skrulls in key political positions. Yeah. That's the key factor of this that we didn't see in the actual comics of Secret Invasion. Right. Because in the comics version, they took superheroes, sure, and had clones in there Mm -hmm. but the ones that were cloned and were secret scrolls right they weren't really the a-listers in my opinion and i think that's something that i'll talk about that at another point but just seeing in the comparison to the comics it really hits here about how strategic it is yeah and i pulled up on the uh marvel cinematic universe wiki page uh fandom page i should say uh, specifically about the Scroll Council, and they do mention the notable members. So you've got Gravik, you've got the Pamela Lawton Scroll, Sergio Caspani uh, Scroll, the Chris Stearns Scroll, the Jack Hyuk Bin Scroll, 
and then the Shirley Sager scroll. So uh, just run, I'm running through quickly. The uh, Pamela Lawton scroll is, of course, the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Sergio Caspani scroll is the one we mentioned, who is the Secretary General of NATO. So he's in control of all of NATO. One of the other ones, uh, Chris Stern, is a uh, member of FXN, which is the news network we were introduced to uh, during this episode. So they are in control of the United Kingdom, all of NATO, one of the news networks in the country. Uh, and then also you've got uh, the Jack Hyuk uh, Bin scroll. Nothing really given on him or what who he's affiliated with. Uh, so we don't really know too much about him. Uh, and the other one we don't really know too much about is the Shirley Sager scroll, uh, who she's affiliated with. Right, because at this point, she's the only one that's against the move for war. Because mm-hmm, she's like, because the, the rest of the uh, council and even Gravik is like, we need to fight. We've been on our laurels for too long. We're in this position because we've been peaceful. Mm-hmm. And she's the only one that like is seemingly, you know, the old saying, you know, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Yeah. She seems to be the only one that at least according to what we're being told is looking at history and going, no, we're in this position because we were willing to fight the entire time. We need to take a step back. Yeah. So she reacts by getting in touch with Talos. Yep. And Talos has been wanting to meet with Gravik for a little while now. Yeah. So the strings are pulled and she is arranging a meeting. Meanwhile, Fury is still trying to do his investigation, but because of the actions in Russia, mm-hmm. he does get called to meet with Rody. Well, he sets up a meeting with Rody. Oh, he sets up a meeting. He sets with up a meeting with Rody because once Rody gets grilled by the rest of the. Uh, That's right. Gr- I forget what the, the grouping. There's a grouping of, you know, what is it? UK was there. France was there. It's almost like their version of NATO, but it's not. Kind of, yeah. I'm sure there's some title to it, but mm-hmm. I just forget what it is. But, it, you know, Rody gets grilled. And, and well, why is the president not there in this whole conversation? But as he's leaving with his Secret Service detail, uh, you know, the earpiece that's in his ear gets hacked mm-hmm. in, gets hacked into and Fury goes, oh, it's a nice suit you got there. Is that Armani? And and you see Rhodey start looking around trying to find him. The agents pick up on this and they go and they he's like, listen, we need to talk. And they set up a meeting at like a pub mm-hmm. or, or a very public place, a very public place that they've got locked down because when Fury shows up, they do the pat down. And I think the old I don't even think there's a bartender at the bar mm-hmm. or, or maybe there was, but nobody else is in the bar except for Rody and the agents. Right. And during this conversation, Fury is trying to plead his case about the situation, but Rody is not hearing this and actually is saying you're at fault for the attack. Right. Well, and, and Rhodey is at least aware of some of it because we find out that there was a plan or he was briefed on it a little bit years ago. And then it sounds like there is a contingency plan of some sort in case something like this happens. Mm-hmm. So when all the smoke is cleared from this, Fury is let go from his position. Yep. He is a non-shield member which is mm-hmm. which is kind of wild to say i mean obviously being the director of shield for so long and being involved with the government espionage yeah to see now that he's on his own with no authority holding him accountable right makes him even more dangerous oh yeah and he's he gets real pissed off oh absolutely because now he is saying they're going like we have an invasion going on and you don't even want to hear this right well and then one of the agents tells Rody, oh the car's here and he goes oh what you're just gonna leave without figuring this out first he goes no car's not for me car's for you yeah so the point is drilled home that nick fury is not exactly welcomed 
back to Earth. He's persona non grata. Yeah. So while this is all taking place, too, we do see that the American that was taken hostage, mm-hmm. in, or I should say arrested. Arrested, yeah. Apologies for that. Uh, in Russia, is now being held yep. in an undisclosed location in the U.K. Mm-hmm. And in this position, we do find out that this is Brogan. Yep. Who we did see in the free the previous episode, who is who took the identity of the one person that was yep. in the uh, chamber. Yep. And he is in prison, and we do see that there is somebody familiar that is going to have her own interrogation with him. Mm-hmm. And that is who, Pad? Sonia Fallsworth. Yes. Yeah, so Olivia Coleman shows up on the scene. Absolutely fantastic in this moment. Crushes it. Yep. Comes in, and the armed forces have been trying to interrogate Brogan for so long. In a meat cooler. Yes. Oh, my God. This is like something out of the 80s. It's absolutely crazy to see what's going on. Love it. And she just walks in ever so calmly and is saying, you're going to tell me what I want. And Brogan is sitting there. I'm not saying anything. Yeah. And she goes into a unique style of torture. (laughs) I'll say, if you can say that, Uh, she cuts his fucking finger off. Yep. Holy shit. Hits the ground running. She's like, well, first she asks... The guy initially doing the interrogating where the escape hatch is or mm. what or escape exit is. And he goes, he points to the ground. He goes, oh, it's right there. Why? He goes, there's nothing going to happen. She's like, yeah, just a hunch. Mm-hmm. And then she and then he leaves and she just fucking cuts the finger off. And, and the finger turns from a human sized finger and human colored finger to a green colored finger. Yes. And it elongates a little bit because he's a scroll. Mm hmm. And I'll be honest, I totally forgot this dude was a scroll. Yeah. It had been, you know, a week plus since I'd seen the first episode. And I was like, oh, shit, right. He's a scroll. Well, it's just how he blends in with his character. Obviously, when you take possession of somebody like they do, and mm-hmm. now they've shown how scrolls do the shape-shifting here. Yeah. Fallsworth is so committed about mm-hmm. getting the information and does yeah. that she is not even bothered when Gravik is making the escape plan. Yeah. Because Gravik is coming in there and knows where Brogan is and is trying to, I would say, rescue him, but... He's, he's tying up a loose end. Yeah, it's more or less fixing the problem that is now him mm-hmm. talking. Yeah, because like, there are multiple scrolls going into this place and just wiping the floor mm-hmm. with the mercenaries, because I'm, I'm guessing they're mercenaries, Yes, that are in this warehouse, secret location, whatever. And these dudes, these these mercenaries don't even have a chance that they're getting wiped out and they're getting killed before they can even react. Mm-hmm. And all the meanwhile, Fallsworth is just like, oh, well, that's about right on schedule. Time to leave. Yes. So she's been injecting him, gets the information she needs because now is revealed that Gravik is more or less messing with genetics. Uh-huh. And doing something to amplify the scroll's powers. Yeah, with uh, and there was a certain Easter egg in one of the fucking DNA computer screens. Mm-hmm. Groot. Groot. Frost Giants. Yeah. Caught that. So. I was like, ooh, that can't be good. I've read a few places online a theory about this. Okay. And I kind of have to say I agree with it. Okay. They're genetically making super scrolls without doing the Fantastic Four. Well, that would make sense since at this point we don't know if the Fantastic Four is a thing. Right. So it's an interesting mix of how they're building this together. Yeah. No, that makes that makes sense. So on I the, could see I could see it. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is something that Gaia is checking out yeah. when she shows up for this. So Amelia Clark, uh, obviously, is 
playing this role and really having some fun with it. Because mm-hmm. you see that she's trying to buy into Gav- uh, Gravik. Gravik's mission, but obviously seeing the fallout of what happens with Broken, because they do do the rescuing. Right. And he's swearing he didn't say anything, swearing he didn't do anything. And they more or less go Sopranos on him. Yeah, they do. Take him into the woods. Sopranos, Godfather, pick your Italian mobster movie. Yep. Take him into the woods and shoot him. Yep. And hey, we, you want to go for a ride? Let's go for a ride. And you're seeing the guy is really starting to question what was said. Because like now, when it's verbally said, like, yeah, there, yeah. he has a machine and he's doing something to amplify the powers. Until you see everybody pop up on screen. Right. You don't really see it. And then you're like, okay, well, that's such a weird mix. Yeah, it was. Because obviously the Frost Giants, you have Groot. And then I want to say the last one was Eternals. It was something. But that's why I kind of just don't even pay attention to that because we still haven't explained the giant celestial in the uh, Atlantic Ocean. Yeah, yeah, there's that. We'll get around to it at some point. Eventually. So about the same time we get around to who bought Avengers Tower. Mm -hmm. No, but the thing we got to mention, too, is just how twisted and fucked up Sonya Fallsworth was because for as much as, uh, you know, Brogan or Imposter Brogan, was saying, oh, I didn't tell him anything. He, he started to spill some secrets because mm-hmm. Sonya, in the most twisted and screwed up thing I've seen since I don't know when, decided to inject him with this chemical drug, whatever it is, this weird cocktail of stuff that heated up the blood of inside his body to 160 degrees, what was it, Kelvin? Mm-hmm. Something like that, which I'm like, that's fucking hot. Yeah. She obviously is very aware of the threat. And we have not gone into her background just yet. No, we've only seen her in the two scenes. Right. So that being said, it's still very wide open about what she really knows about this. Mm-hmm. It's not to say that she's not a scroll herself. Yeah, I get. I for those of you who understand the reference, I'm getting a real Dolores Umbridge vibe from mm-hmm. Harry Potter about her, where yeah. she thinks she's doing the right thing, but she's going about it in the most fucked up way possible. Absolutely. So... The episode wraps up on a very awkward note, though, mm-hmm. because Fury, with no job, yeah, returns home, yeah, and we find out he's married. Yeah, he's got a wife. Yes, which I can't really remember in the comics. No, I'm sure, given how long the character has been around, I'm sure he's been married at least once. Right. No, I yeah to say, but for I was trying to figure out who this was. In reference, like being a superhero, and, ah, and like okay. no, nothing was ringing a bell, but we do find out that as he's going into the house, we see a scroll is making dinner, mm-hmm. and then transforms into his wife Priscilla. Priscilla, yep. which is a very unique thing to say. The scrolls have already been thinking two steps ahead and replaced his wife with a scroll agent uh-huh. that he does not know about at this point. We think. Yep. But that's how the season, the episode wraps up. So, very strong episode. Yeah. A lot of details given in. I mean, you had some very, very noteworthy performances from Gravik. And, obviously, the most badass agent mm-hmm. going right now, Sonya Fallsworth. So, a lot of stuff has been moving in play. And I think now that we're going into the middle stretch of the show, we are going to see a faster pace pickup. Yes. Because I think that we have to get there at least by episode four. Probably, yeah. By the end of it, we should have a clear-cut idea about how things are going to wrap up with this. Well, I I get the feeling that Rhodey's going to get involved in some form. Well, I mean, it's still the question of who is really a scroll, and I think he might be at this point. Yeah. Which which makes sense, because I I think if you do this series and you don't have a a superhero, a scroll, 
There's there's going to be at least it's one. It's a missed window. And, it, and it's not going to be like an, oh, one of these background heroes, you know, ended up being a scroll. No, it's going to be an oh shit type of name drop. And Rhodey makes sense for what they need yeah, to do. Yeah, Rhodey here. could be, yeah. But I, I would say it would be amazing if it was Tony Stark. Oh, my God. The internet would lose its mind. Well, could you just imagine? I mean, we 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 have heard rumors about like if Chris Evans was ever going to come back, if if he was. Yeah. I mean, we don't know. Yeah. I mean, because also too, you got to remember when a scroll is keeping that human form longer, they do forget that they're scrolls. Only thing with the Chris Evans thing that I like the timeline just doesn't work out because considering when the scrolls showed up and when he was unthawed, mm-hmm. so unless the scrolls found him took the identity and then refroze whoever took the the body i just i just don't think there's enough overlap for that to happen it's probably not i mean that's i think that's why they kind of stayed away from it in the comics yeah but i think of how they're setting it up here with having the scrolls take over the most powerful human positions on earth yeah i think plays a really strong hand and i I think that now we're going into the middle part of this series we we still have got a long way to go yeah we do but still, I thought they definitely hit their points, and I mean, I'm more excited about the show than I was for episode one. I thought this was a lot better episode. This, yeah, no, this was this was better than episode one. I will agree with you there. Final thoughts on it, Pat? Uh, fantastic episode. A lot of implications with this, and a lot of like, ooh, I wonder where they're going to go with this. And like you said, there's only uh, four more episodes after this, but boy, there's going to be a lot going on with those episodes. Super excited to see what happens. Absolutely. So hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPagePod. What is your thoughts about Secret Invasion Episode 2 entitled Promises? Let's have that discussion, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, and welcome to The Capsule Life, a show for the most casual and dedicated fans of comics and a member of the Comic Watch family. I'm your host, Sean. Join me and discover what the world of comics and graphic novels have to offer. From one-on-one interviews with industry professionals, roundtable discussions with passionate fans, and reviews on the latest comics, TV shows, and movies. You can also check out our website, www.thecaptionlife.com, to find out where you can listen to us, a list of all of our episodes, and where you can find us on social media under the username at Caption Life. You'll get a new episode from us every week, so hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and we have to recap a season finale that fans should not be ignoring by any stretch of the imagination. Hell no. Arguably the best episode of the series. Uh Uh-huh. And that is saying something because we're going to be talking about the season three finale of the DC Comics CW show Superman and Lois. Hell yeah. Now, if you're a longtime listener to the ODPH, we have been covering every single episode of this series. And I think I'm safe to say, Pat, please correct me if I'm wrong. Sure. Arguably the best show that they have done live action for DC. Uh, In recent history, yeah. 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 I think that the work that has been done on this, reimagining the first family of the DC EU, as in the entertainment universe, of the Kents, played by Tyler Hoechlin in the title role of Clark Kent, Elizabeth Tulloch as Lois Lane, and their two sons, Alex Garfin playing Jordan Kent and Michael Bishop playing Jonathan Kent, as they move to Smallville from Metropolis, has really been a fun, creative watch each week. Uh, what I will say about the show that is a credit and a benefit to anyone working on the show, and I hope you can hear this because whoever works on the show and any capacity behind the scenes, kudos to you folks. Mm-hmm. They have done things with this show that have been done in the films that were done in the films with about three times or maybe four times the budget with what the television was uh, crew was given. Yeah. The television crew did better 
Oh, it's it's widespread, you know, popularity to think that too as yeah. well. Like I say, might have botched that up because you know what? There's no easy way to say it. The TV show has eclipsed a lot of the movies. Yeah. And I think if you really want to try finding the true essence of Clark Kent, mm-hmm. Tyler Hoechlin has captured it. Yeah, it, it's kind of like the best modern take on Superman because obviously for however many years now, Superman has been married to, in the comics to Lois. Mm-hmm. They've got the son, Jonathan. So that's kind of been a, a lot of the focus, you know, the la- especially the last couple of years with the super family. Is is Clark, Lois, and and her and her their kid and yeah. and the extended family, you know what what have you. So everything up until this point has been so Clark focused. You know mm-hmm. the Christopher Reeve movies, and then the Brandon Routh film, and then you know the Henry Cavill film for and for as good and bad as as some of those movies were. You know it wasn't kind of like a modern interpretation of what we saw from the comics to the screen Mm -hmm. this has been the first time that they've done you know even with the animated stuff in smallville and and what have you this is the first time we've seen in any capacity page to screen what we've seen in the comics yes and i think the job they've done this season especially with a lot of moving parts happening they still maintain the essence of what we've grown to love with the show for anybody that wants to see Truth, Justice, and a Better Tomorrow, this is your show. Absolutely. And how they've taken a lot of risks with the characters on the show and really having a crazy reimagination uh-huh. of a few of them. Yeah. It's really paid off. I think it's safe to say there's only been one really bad episode of yeah. this series yeah. in the entire three years it's been on. Yeah. But this season they've definitely delved into a lot of different storylines focusing a lot on the the supporting characters of smallville looked a lot more closer to home mm-hmm. did a very tasteful and strong portrayal of lois lane's fight against cancer yeah and also build up a lot of superman's rogues that we don't hear on a normal basis yeah with the exception of the one that has just made his debut <laughs> oh yeah so all of this being said Pad, it is time to talk the season finale of season three of Superman and Lois entitled What Kills You Only Makes You Stronger. Mm-hmm. So hit me with your spoiler free statement about this episode and series. Uh, the series honestly might be, you know, the series is incredible. The season, if I had to rank them, I think right now, and this is my way too early ranking, I would have to say this one is is first. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first season is second, and then the second season is in the third position. You know, but we'll see. I'm going to plan on doing a rewatch with my girlfriend Liz because she's only seen most of season three. She didn't see seasons one or two, so I'm going to do a rewatch uh, with her over the summer. Um, but no, as for the episode, the episode was absolutely fucking incredible, and the cliffhanger they left us with. And no, I'm not shitting you when I say this. And for those of you who've seen Smallville, you will know what I'm talking about. Was the greatest cliffhanger I've seen in a comic book, television show, or hell, even a television show since they did the cliffhanger ending season one of Smallville, where we were left with the question of, is Lex going to save Lionel? Is Clark going to save Lana after running into the tornado? Because the final shot in that season of Smallville is Clark runs into the tornado to save Lana, cut to black. And we had to sit there. That was in, like, May. And we had to sit there until September to figure out what the fuck happened. Mm. Greatest cliffhanger since season one of Smallville, in my opinion. 
fantastic season, fantastic episode, absolute grand slam out of the park for this season. Sirius has been on point since the debut episode. No, mm-hmm. no question about that. Yeah. Season, I have to agree with you. I think this has been the best season to date. Yeah. And I do agree with you on your rankings. I think season one gave us a lot. Yeah, it did. And I think the one thing we have to keep in mind is season one was a longer season. Yeah, it was. So there was about eight more episodes. Something like that, yeah. So for what they got in this season with 13, they really hit their points. And I really think that you saw the best of each actor Mm -hmm. come out this season. And I think there was just so many strong portrayals going on, especially Elizabeth Tolick's uh, portrayal of Lois this season. Yeah, uh, she was phenomenal. She should win some sort of award. She definitely needs a nomination at least. At the least. At the least. But for what they did this season, I wasn't sure at the beginning where we were going. Right. But they played the long game. Oh, yeah, they did. And there's something that when we get into spoiler talk, I'm going to bring back up because I don't think you picked up on it. And it took me a second to think about it okay. when when I saw how the season played out, the okay. finale. And I go, oh, my God, they've been setting up for this mm-hmm. long before mm-hmm. we even realized they were going. This well, way. and just to get back to your point of, like, we didn't know where the season was going. We knew Bruno Mannheim was going to be a thing. Yes. That was announced. And then they also announced that Michael Cudlitz, uh, you know, from Southland. Walking fi- Dead. Walking Dead, a host of other shows, would be coming in to portray Lex Luthor, Superman's arch nemesis, and we're sitting there going, "Oh shit!" Like, because we, I know we'd wondered season two if John Cryer's uh, Lex Luthor was going to show up. Because at that point, we thought it was still tied into the Arrowverse, mm-hmm. and come to find out, it's not. So once they announced Michael Cudlitz would be portraying Lex, it became this waiting game of when is Lex going to show up? Right. And the the season progressed, and the more time went, and you and I are sitting here off air going, "Like, they are taking real long to." bring in Lex like they're name dropping him and they're referencing him but we haven't seen hide nor hair of him Mm -hmm. and then he and and it never overshadowed you know uh Chad Coleman's portrayal of uh uh Bruno Bruno Mannheim you know Chad Chad L. Coleman crushed it as Bruno absolutely like I didn't really care about Bruno Mannheim when he was shown up as kind of like a B villain C villain in Superman the animated series Mm mm-hmm Boy, I care about him now. If they're to do a run with Bruno Mannheim as like the main focus in the Superman comic, you know, in the next six months, I'm all for it, you know. But even with the specter of Lex Luthor lurking, that like, okay, they announced he's coming. He's, yeah. he's going to be in the season. So you would think, oh, he's going to overshadow whatever else is there. No, Chad, Chad L. Coleman crushed it. And then once, you know, Chad L. Coleman took his bow and stepped out as Bruno Mannheim when his story was over. Michael Cudlitz kicked the goddamn front door in, and and she was like, "All right, party time." Yep. I mean, all signs have been pointing to Lex Luthor coming on the show. It's a matter of when, not if. Yeah. And I think for what they set up the season, they definitely pushed a lot of points going into the final season. That things are set in place. That when we heard the casting announcement of about actors going from recurring to or, or from uh, regular to uh, recurring, recurring. Yes, thank yeah. you. It now makes sense. Yeah. And obviously with what transpires here, it's arguably their best episode to date. Uh-huh. And there's a lot to process into it, but just take us on our word for the spoiler-free talk here. If you haven't checked this episode out, you can just almost jump in. Yeah. 
without watching the previous episodes and you'll still have an idea enough that you can enjoy this episode and really get something out of it. You can honestly just watch the 12th episode in justice and then this episode and you're good. Yeah. Like, you know who Superman is, you know who Lois is, you know who Lex Luthor is. You're good. Yep. It's all you need. But if you've been watching like we have, the payoff has been huge. Christ almighty. So let's get into it. Cause I think we're going to start slipping and talking the spoiler talk. So in three, two, one, let it rip, Pad. Uh, so we're in spoiler talk here. So motherfuckers did Doomsday better than Zack Snyder did. Yeah, they did. They did what Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice couldn't. They made a very good and very credible and very believable Doomsday. And you know when we first heard about this, season two, season two, they said Doomsday was coming. The the likeness showed up with the costume or with mm-hmm. the spacesuit. Yep, from the comic that we're like, oh shit, there he is. You know, goggles, green suit and all, and then the the helmet comes off, and it's not Doomsday. No. It's Bizarro, and we're like, whoa, it's a hell of a swerve. We loved it. You know, it was a super a, a villain from Superman's Rogues that doesn't get a lot of love these days, mm-hmm. you know, especially not on the big screen or small screen. Right. You know, so we sat there, and we took him at the word, like, okay, Bizarro's here, and then this episode happened. Yeah, they played the long game. Yeah, they did. They absolutely played the long game, and this is probably one of the most creative ways to introduce Doomsday. Uh Uh-huh. And one that really... Made sense. Made so much sense. Yeah. Like, that's the craziest thing about this, because obviously, you (laughs) know... Made more sense than General Zod's corpse. Yeah, completely. And that's the, the, the most wild thing about this, because obviously, Doomsday in the comics has a very different history. Yeah, he does. Very different. Yeah, he does. So the fact that they wanted to introduce him like this was really something creative. Kudos to the writing team about this. Absolutely. Because from where we went last season or last episode, mm-hmm. Lex Luthor just finds Bizarro. And he's a fucking zombie. Yeah. He's an undead zombie. Because, Literally. Because of what Chad uh, L. Coleman's Bruno Mannheim was doing to him. Yep. Because he was experimenting with bringing dead back to life and just right and we and we didn't know to what extent he we knew he was doing something with with bizarro we just didn't know what and all we all we knew was that he had done something with bizarro that would lead him to bring people back to life but it didn't last long Mm -hmm. and there were inevitable issues that we saw sprinkled throughout this season but the entire time we didn't know what further he was doing yeah but we did find out now. Yeah, we did. So where this episode jumps in is now about a month after mm-hmm. Lex Luthor has been freed. And Clark and Lois are scared. Yes. They're like, shit. Rightfully so. Smallville is doing something which at the time I was like, wait, why? But then again, it's very small town USA. Small town USA, and it's just a means to get everybody together. Yep. So once I, I got that point, I was like, okay, this makes sense. Be- well, well, and plus, given what Smallville is known for, you know, meteor capital of, of the USA or meteor capital of the world, yeah. whatever it says, I'm like, all right, them going to watch a meteor shower is on point. Mm-hmm. It's on brand. So they do what I like to call the first of the setup for saying goodbye to the supporting cast. Yeah. Because we see that... Somebody is now pregnant. Yep. And that is Chrissy, who's uh-huh. played by Sophia Hamzik. Uh, and it's a hell of a reveal, too. Yeah, Hamzik uh, definitely played this up completely perfect because it is a complete shock. It is unexpected. And obviously with how her relationship has been with Kyle, who's played by Eric Valdez, 
has been very off and on. It's it's it has not been smooth sailing. No, and and obviously they're together. Obviously they're romantically involved. They're they're quote unquote dating boyfriend girlfriend whatever title you want to use. Mm-hmm. And they're having a conversation in the morning, and they're like, oh, I made. And he, I, if I remember right, he made her breakfast. Yes. He goes, oh, here I made you breakfast. Breakfast in bed, isn't that wonderful? I forget what he made. Not important. She gets a whiff of it, runs to the bathroom. Throws up, and at this point, I'm sitting there watching with my girlfriend, Liz Bailey, and I go, oh, shit. Yeah. I was like, I know what this I was like, I, I've seen TV. I know what this is. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. And and Kyle looks at Chrissy and goes, are you pregnant? Yeah. When did you find out? Last night. Yeah. So their storyline has definitely picked up some steam here. Uh-huh. Meanwhile, you also have... My favorite family of Smallville, the Irons, yep, get a very interesting proposal thrown at them. Lucrative too. Yes, because John Henry Irons, who's been played by Wooly Parks, who's been absolutely phenomenal on this mm-hmm. show, is now getting offered a bigger role with the DOD in Metropolis. Well, we find out that he's been making tech for the DOD, and that they're happy with what he's done. They're thrilled. It's amazing. It's incredible. And that they want to expand on this relationship and like, hey, we want you to keep making stuff for us, but you're not going to be restricted by space. And I mean that like in physical space, not outer space or a budget like Mm -hmm. you will get whatever you need. You will get as much, you know, warehouse space as you like whatever you need. You will get it. Just the only hook is you got to come to Metropolis. Right. Which his daughter, Natalie, played by Taylor Buck, is more than ecstatic to do. Yeah, she's she's not a big fan of small, though. Right. Well, her boyfriend, Mateo, yeah. is in Metropolis. Yep. So it makes sense. She's a city girl. Yeah, that she wants to go. And then yeah. She's, yeah, obviously she wants to go where her heart is. Right. And John Henry Irons is not exactly so fully sold on it just yet. Well, because he, he has been falling in love with Lana mm-hmm. and finally, like, expressed his feeling or was about to express his feelings. You know, he did propose to her, well, hey, let's go on a date together. Right. Finally. And so they, she goes, oh, sure, I'll meet you at whatever time, whatever place. He then gets this offer and then he goes... Shit, I just really got my relationship with Lana started, and now I have to leave. Yes. So they do go on their date, though, and one thing leads to another, and she is trying to convince him as much as possible maybe maybe to reconsider. Yeah. So the side characters, like I say, are really starting to develop roles that I now understand why they wouldn't be back this next season. Right. And I, you know, I think it's very interesting about how they do this setup now because I think going into what is going to be season four, I think a lot of them might have still been around yeah but now everybody's getting written off and it makes sense it doesn't feel forced no like i think that's where i'm kind of going with this and i get the feeling because this this was written and filmed a while ago mm-hmm. this was this wasn't uh so uh looking yeah i, I don't i'll have to do, yeah, do something yeah like i say it, this it had been done a while before the yeah so yeah so out. yeah so this filming started on september 6 2022 and concluded on March 14th, 2023. So this was filmed and done and written long before the announcements came about mm-hmm. the casting and the budget and everything else. So I can't help but wonder if the writers knew that that was coming or had an inkling that like maybe like somebody on the inside of, you know, the CW side of things is like, hey, just so you're aware, this might be coming, you know, and then that's why they decided to go this route. I think so. I think they definitely had an inkling that yeah. something was happening. So they set up things in the right pieces that, 
or right place is that if they wanted to bring somebody back, they yeah. could. It makes yeah. sense. It's yeah. not going to be moving heaven and earth to do. No. But I like how they set everybody up for this. All the while, the Kents go make plans to go to Talro's villa in Italy. Well, because La- not Lana, uh, Lois and, and Clark go there for a little uh, personal time. Yep. A little uh, romantic time. Mm-hmm. So they obviously want to get away from the threat of Luthor and yep. figure to get everybody away. Yep. And while this is going on, too, you're also seeing that Clark is really trying to make everybody kind of tie up loose ends as well. Right. Well, and he's still pissed off at uh, Jordan at this point mm-hmm. uh, because of everything that happened last episode. And he's still under, uh, I don't want to say house arrest. He's still grounded. Yeah. Literally. So he's saying you should really kind of make up things with Sarah, tie up that loose yeah. end. Because like, hey, we're going to go to Italy. It's not going to be a week. It's going to be a while. You should you should finish this up before you leave. Mm-hmm. So they do have one scene, and you know, like I say, as, as critical as I've been about them, I didn't mind this. No, I, I got this because you know it made sense. It did, yeah. it did not feel forced. So it like was, I say, it wasn't a will they won't they right because as definitive they won't. Yep, that's over and done with. Yeah, because Jordan confronts Sarah where she's working in the diner. Yeah, and the conversation gets very awkward. Uh, a lot yeah. of it, you know, is Sarah being Sarah on yeah. the show, and, yeah. and like I say, it's nothing at Indy Navarrete. I just what I think, she's given. I yeah, she is. Her character is is written in a certain way. Like I'm not a fan of the writing mm-hmm. of her. It, it's it's the Lana persona and the Lana character, but for the next generation. Yeah, it's it's a lot of the same stuff they did with Lana in Smallville. Was it there was it was like six seven seasons of will they won't they will they won't they will they, that even the producers have come out and said since like okay yeah we we dragged that out a little too long in Smallville. Yeah, that it's the same character stereotype of, of the young love that he wants to get with. Well, they won't, they will, they won't, they. Mm-hmm. So like I say, but how they end things for this, I didn't mind. No, I, I really didn't have a problem with Jonathan really didn't get a lot of storyline time, which I always no. say he, he's been the MVP of this series. He, he was a heavy focus last episode though. So I understood that. Yeah. Cause the only thing he had is he was trying to make peace with his former football coach because obviously, yeah, the coach is still pissed at him. Yeah. Right, Understandably so. Rightfully so. Yeah. Midwest yeah. football. High school. <laughs> uh, folks, if you're an international listener and you don't understand how big uh, American football is in especially the southern part of the country, do yourself a favor. Uh, open your browser, whatever you do, choose. Go to Google and Google search Texas High School Football Stadium. Doesn't matter which one you look at, you'll get the idea. Yeah. It is a very big deal. Uh-huh. It's like a religion. Yep. And Jonathan uh, did not exactly... Uh, Endear himself? Yes. Thank you. So the ramifications of his actions are still lingering around. Because and and he does imply, or it is hinted at, that like they're in, we know they're in the summer vacation portion of of the year. So it's like July, June, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and and that the school year is coming up, and that whatever sanctions were put on them by like the state athletic commission or, or athletic council, whatever it is, are going to be over, and that they will play a football season next year. This next coming, this next school year. And it and Jonathan wants to play, and he he realizes I fucked up big time the last time. And if I want a shot at playing, which is, you know, his bread and butter, playing football, you know, I got to make up with the coach. Yeah. So everybody has their nice little storylines going on, but everybody came to see Luthor and what he's doing. Yep. Ari kills off a judge that imprisoned him. Yeah, and the judge from uh, earlier this season that was involved in the Bruno Mannheim case. Yep. So he is now on his revenge tour. Mm-hmm. And he is now well. And also, Lana's paranoid that everything happening in her life that is like of a negative thing 
is from Luthor. Yeah. And it does, I, there was something that happened early on. I forget what it is. But like she's like, oh, it's it's Lax. It's got to be Lax. It's got to be Lax. And I'm sitting there going, is it? Like, to me, it felt like a, she was jumping to conclusions. <laughs> Obviously, found, we found out later. Yeah. Yeah, it was Lax. Well, that's, that's the whole thing. I think that now that she knows that Clark is Superman. Yeah. It's easy to put one and one together. Yeah. And I think that she is smart enough to know that if Luthor knows you're connected, mm-hmm. you're a target. Yeah. And I think that that's where they're coming off of that. So I didn't mind that scene as much. Right. I, I do get where you're coming from right. with that, but I, it didn't bother me that super greatly because Luthor then figures out about what to do with Bizarro. Well, and we see what where he's been the last month, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because he, he showed up at the Kent household read him the right act, and then left. And it, as we found out at the beginning of the episode, it's been a month. No sign of him. Well, we find out where he's been for a month. Yeah, so he's been in the Frankenstein laboratory. Uh, that's what it is. Yep. And he has been killing him every day. Because he finds out that despite the fact you can do whatever the hell you want to Bizarro, dude, don't die. No. He's dead for maybe all of a minute, maybe two. Mm-hmm. And then he comes back, too, and he's right as rain. Yeah. So we do see the evolution of this. and Which is twisted as fuck. Oh, it was. And you know what freaked me out? I know you've never listened to the band, but hearing Ministries NWO. Oh, yeah. I freaked out. I was like, things not on my bingo card for yeah. 2023. Yeah. But you know what? I was not mad about that. I'm going to just put that out on record. But when I heard that, I marked out. Mm-hmm. not going to lie. So we do see that with all the attempts to kill... Bizarro. He gets stronger. He gets stronger. And he, uh, that's all that then turns into a way you can't kill him. Yes. So he morphs literally into Doomsday. Yeah. Like Luthor ends up throwing the fucking kitchen sink at him. Flamethrower? Yep. Missiles? Yep. Ice? Yep. Yeah. Like you name it, he, th- he threw it at him. Mm-hmm. So the subplots going on in Smallville really haven't any impact with this because once we get to this moment in the storyline, like everything just goes into fast gear because, Oh yeah. Because general lane is kidnapped yeah. by Luthor because he, he, he's, he's gotten on this like uh senior Tinder dating app. Yeah. And he's, and he's actually reached out. He went on a date with a girl and then a couple of dates we find out and that they really like each other and they, they sneak off into a back alley or something he ends up getting tased and taken because the woman isn't some loving doty girlfriend. Mm. No, she works for Luthor. Yeah. So General Lane is in his possession <coughs> somewhere. Yep. We, d- we don't know where. Yep. The ceremony is kicking off. We do see that Kyle proposes to Chrissy. Yeah, in the middle of the coach giving his presentation about the whole uh, meteor shower and everything else. Mm-hmm. And then it's interrupted by Doomsday yeah. showing up in Smallville. Yep. And this is where things just go from zero to a hundred real quick, because the action oh my god goes full throttle. There is no pause. There is no break. Nope. Well, the only pause is they fight in Smallville. They end up in Metropolis. Looks like he kills him because he tosses him onto the point of the Daily Planet uh, globe thing, mm-hmm. whatever that is at the top. Yeah, he impales him. He impales him. So it's like, oh, hey, he lands back on the ground. He goes, oh, hey, the people's here. Oh, he did it. He did it. And then he comes to and he comes back down. They end up fighting back into Smallville and into Main Street, right where the ceremony is taking place. The only pause is as Biz- uh, Bizarro Doomsday, whatever you want to call him, 
is collecting himself. Clark is collecting himself. La, uh, Lois, Jonathan, and Jordan are all standing there watching him. And you can tell that either Lois wants to tell Jordan to jump in or Jordan's thinking about jumping in. But Clark looks back and he holds one hand up and like a no, don't stay back mm-hmm. type of thing. Well, I think because he knows from all his experience that this is a threat that they won't be able to handle. Nope. And no matter how much Jordan wants to help, no matter how much John Henry Irons wants to help, mm-hmm. it's not going to do a, a bit of good. So he winds up doing what he thinks is the right move and heaves Doomsday into space. Uh-huh. Towards the moon. Yes. So the last shot we have mm-hmm. is an homage to the classic Superman 75 by Dan Jurgens, where you're seeing everybody go for the final kill shot between yep. Doomsday and Superman. Yep. And that's where things end. Yeah. So, uh, Clark's flying at him. Doomsday's running at him. Leaps into the air. Right as they're about to hit. Fade to black. Yep. And that's how it ends up. And, folks, we're not underselling the fight scene. No, it, that, it, the best they've done. The best they've done. Period. In easy 10, possibly 15 minutes? Yes, easily. Easily. So Not counting uh, commercials. Right. But they spent a lot of time to do this. They spent a real focus yeah. on establishing why this is so important. Yeah. That even if you haven't read the comics, for like for whatever reason, I mean, we got to face it, Superman's death story is 30 years old. Yeah, it is. So there are it's some been done, viewers been done on film and animated twice. Right. And some people have never seen it or never read the, the yeah. classic comic, which I recommend go out and get the trade Seriously. paperback. Trade paperback is well worth this time of gold. You might think it's dated, but I don't think you understand about how impactful that issue was in still comics history. Still the number one. The issue where he died is still the number one selling comic of all time. Is it? You know what? It, 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 it might be between that and X-Men number one. That could be. X-Men number one, I think, might have taken it, but then again, there was five different versions of that. We can debate that at another point. But that said, you know when a comic crosses over into pop culture, and you know when it's a big deal, when it's making mainstream news. That's what that comic did at this point. So the fact they did the reenactment on this show as they did, and how almost, I don't want to say it was like panel for panel with it, Mm -hmm. but you got the themes of that 90s story, that classic storytelling on here, and you understood about Superman facing his biggest fear because it's it's an unstoppable foe that's as strong as he is and only getting stronger. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the most noteworthy thing about this, and they gave it so much time to develop that if you are not familiar with the story, you got familiar real quick. Right. So that being said, they end the season on such a high note. Pad, final thoughts on it. Like I said, and I'm not even kidding, best cliffhanger they've done, you know, since season one of Smallville 21 years ago now, I think, because mm-hmm. that was in 2002. Um, but I, I was slow on the uptake. I didn't pick up that it was Doomsday until he started to morph, and I'm sitting there watching it with my girlfriend, and I go, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. And she goes, what? I go, it's Doomsday. Yeah. And my jaw legitimately was on the floor. I'm sitting on the edge of my seat. I had to put the can of Coca-Cola I was drinking down because I was going to drop it. Mm. Then I'm like, holy fuck, it's doomsday. And my girlfriend knows who Superman is, knows the mythos a little bit, but she's not super in, in, uh, informed on all of the ins and outs of his story over, sure. over the 80 years. She goes, who's doomsday? 
And I go, Doomsday is the only person to have ever killed Superman. Mm-hmm. And she goes, oh, no. I go, yeah. I go, they're doing it. Yeah. And they did it very, very well. Like I say, the emotions you're going to feel if you're a longtime Superman fan are going to be resonating they through did. this. They did it better than Zack Snyder. I'm going to say it right now. I agree with you. I think they did it way better than the Snyderverse version. Snyderverse version is creative, but also... A little more messy yeah. and convoluted, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think Don't get me wrong. I was happy to see Doomsday on the big screen. Oh, sure. Because I never thought we'd see it. I didn't think they'd go there that soon. Yeah. I figured we'd build up to that. I was happy to see him, and I, th- I was like, oh, cool, we're seeing it. But it, it's not the best adaptation. No, absolutely not. So to see this portrayed on the small screen is definitely worth the while. And like I say, you've got time now to catch up on HBO Max. Or I'm sorry, Max. Max, yeah, because we do know season four is coming. I'm willing to bet the they that we know it's coming. They haven't given a uh, release date, quote unquote, of when season four is coming. And given the fact that the writer shrink is still ongoing, I'm willing to bet we're not going to get it in the fall. It's going to be sometime. And again, this is assuming the writer shrink ends, you know, here in the, in the near future. Which hey, hope the writers get everything they're asking. Absolutely. For. You know, but I'm willing to bet we want, considering it's July, uh, it's early part of July when we're recording this. We haven't heard anything about filming, so I don't think they've written the scripts. Or if they did, they're they're not finished. Mm-hmm. We know it's getting ten episodes, so. I'm willing to bet season four of Superman and Lost doesn't come back until maybe February. I would say at the earliest. Because I, 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 well, I don't think they'll put it out in January. January is kind of like a dead time for TV. Yeah. But you never know because obviously with 10 episodes left before we say goodbye to this interpretation of Superman, there's a lot of things that can happen. But in the meantime, mm-hmm. do yourself a favor. If you haven't checked this series out, go check it out. Yeah, it's be, well worth the time. Absolutely. And the finale, what will only kill you, make you stronger, is so worth checking. And like I say, we definitely want to have some conversations with you, the ODPH Society, about it. So hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. Let us know what you thought about it. Let us know how it matches up to the Death of Superman storyline. We definitely can have that conversation. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, guys. It's Alan Dunford here from Top Hat Studios, co-writer and co-creator of Pocus Hocus and Grandma Chainsaw, and you guys are listening to the ODPH Podcast. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got? Got a couple things to talk about. Obviously, the first of which is I got to talk about my views and what I thought of the first five episodes of season three of The Witcher. Oh. Uh, that is volume one. Uh, volume two drops July 29th, I want to say. It's the end of the month. Uh, so far, first half of the season, I've enjoyed it. You know, it's been fun. It's been a little more cohesive and linear, I felt, you know, mm-hmm. which is nice to see. Story's been interesting to see where where they're going to go and how things are playing out. Obviously, there's a looming threat in the background and, and war and whatnot. Uh, but as for the first five episodes, they've been good. You know, I've, I've enjoyed them. Is it the best thing on television? No, but it, it's been fun to watch if you're a fan of The Witcher. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's, it's a good... First half of the season, obviously, it will be Henry Cavill's uh, final season as the title character of Geralt the Witcher. Right. And then Liam Hemsworth comes in, and we've been told that it's going to be a seamless, smooth transition from uh, Henry Cavill to Liam Hemsworth. So uh, Liam Hemsworth has said he's been reading the books, you know, and devouring the books in his words. So we'll see how that goes. You know, it'll be interesting to see. I'll, I'll give it a shot before I completely write it off. Henry Cavill, to me, was the perfect casting as the role of Geralt in The Witcher, so we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I'm not going to pass judgment until I see Liam Hemsworth on screen as Geralt. But mm. uh, as for this first half of the season, 
I wouldn't say it's required watching, you know, or you need to drop everything you're watching and watch it right now. But, like, if you get into a lull, you know, you've watched the first two seasons and you need to find something to watch, it. it's worth your time. Yeah, I mean, The Witcher is something I I have to do a rewatch on. Sure. I just, it wasn't for me, but, you know, I might sure. I might give it a rainy day thing. Obviously, sure. the switch up. It's nothing against Henry Cavill. I'm just, yeah. I was never big about the video game. Right. But I do respect it. I understand what's going on with it. So yeah. I might have to give that another shot. Uh, and then speaking of Netflix news, uh, we finally got some news on what's going to happen with the Chronicles of Narnia Whoa. over on Netflix. Whoa. And that is Greta Gerwig. Yes, that Greta Gerwig is going to write and direct two movies uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia universe for Netflix. So reading from an article on IGN.com, it says, quote, Greta Gerwig has secured a deal with Netflix to write and direct two movies based on C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia. After playing dress-up in Barbie's closet to bring the world's most famous doll to life with Margot Robbie in this summer's big-screen trip to the Dreamhouse, Gerwig is ready to step foot into a very different kind of wardrobe to explore a world of fantasy and magic. According to a recent profile piece in The New Yorker, Gerwig will helm at least two Narnia movies for Netflix as part of the streamer's long-gestating plans to bring the beloved Chronicles of Narnia series to life through multiple movies and TV shows. Netflix acquired its multi-year deal with the C.S. Lewis company back in October 2018 after and later enlisted Coco writer uh, Matthew Aldrich as the creative architect overseeing the development of all movies and shows adapted from C.S. Lewis's beloved Narnia universe. In addition to Aldrich, Mark Gordan, uh, Douglas, uh, page jumped on me. There it is. Douglas Gresham and Vincent uh, Sieber are currently set to serve as executive producers on the movies and producers of all upcoming Narnia shows. Though it's unclear which Narnia story Netflix will choose first, will choose to adapt first. The fantasy series has been adapted numerous times in the past, including as an animated miniseries in 1979. And more recently, as a series of movies beginning with 2005's The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe, directed by Andrew Adamson. There were plans for a fourth movie, The Silver Chair, to come out and even had Joe Johnston attached as a director. But production company Walden Media let its rights to the Chronicles of Narnia lapse in 2018, and Netflix snatched them up to spearhead the current adaptation initiative. Before venturing into the wood uh, between the worlds, Gerwig will see how these, the plastic fantastic world of Barbie is received when her big screen adaptation of the popular Mattel toy line plays out in theaters on July 21st, the same day that, as Christopher Nolan's biopic on Oppenheimer, close quote. So I'm super excited for this because I tried reading the books as a kid because I'd read Harry Potter, I'd read Lord of the Rings, and my mom suggested them to me. She's like, you know, you might like this. It's a mix of Harry Potter, a mix of Lord of the Rings. Couldn't necessarily get into the books. Um, but my grandmother took me to see the first movie when it came out in theaters and I love the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I rented the second one when that came out cause I didn't have a income. Well, didn't have a car. I couldn't go to see it. No, none of my parents or siblings wanted to go see it. So sure. rented it when it eventually came out and, the, and I've seen all the movies that Disney did and I enjoyed those movies. But when Netflix announced that like, you know, Oh, Hey, we're going to do our own thing with it. I was like, Oh, Okay. And it's been, other than the little bit of news I mentioned, it's been like radio silent on the entire project. Yeah, I was going to say, I completely forgot they went over to Netflix. So I was like, uh, maybe nothing's going to happen. And then this bombshell got dropped. And I'm like, hey, you know what? I'm all for it. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely excited to check it out. I mean, like I say, I forgot where the property went to. Yeah. Because it's been so radio silent about it. Yeah. 
you know, I had no idea about it, yeah. so we'll kind of have to see where it shapes up. But, you know, at Netflix, they could definitely use a win right now. Yeah. This would be something for them. Well, they got a win coming because announced by the folks over at Netflix today, I'm reading from an article on Deadline, uh, they do have the a live, ad, live adaptation of the One Piece uh, anime That's show coming. That's right. Uh, the Japanese voice actors are set to reprise their roles in the live action uh, series adaptation. So again, reading from Deadline, it says, quote, the Netflix One Piece live adaptation will have Japanese voice actors from the anime reprise their roles. It was at the Anime Expo 2023 in Los Angeles that fans got to watch a video of Mayumi Tanaka, the original voice actor, original voice of Monkey D. Luffy, welcoming Inaki Godoy to the Straw Hats. Quote, I've been voicing Luffy for more than 23 years now, and I think everyone has a little bit of Luffy in their heart, Tanaka said. Inaki, who performs Luffy in this live-action live series, is so fun and joyful that he really makes a perfect Luffy. I'm very happy to be able to voice Luffy in this adaptation as well. Tanaka continued, One Piece is a story whose words and images can resonate with you in different ways depending on your situation or perspective at any given moment, allowing for new discoveries all the time. And of course, nothing would bring me greater joy than if people who've never experienced One Piece can become part of the family beginning with this show, close quote. So I think that's a super awesome move that like you could have easily gotten any voice actor to voice mm-hmm. the characters. But for as beloved as this series is, there's over a thousand episodes. It's been going for 23 years. The fact that they're bringing in the anime voice actors from the Japanese version to do the Japanese dub of the show Kudos to you, Netflix. That's an awesome move. Absolutely awesome move. I can't wait to check this out. I mean, I'll be honest. I've heard so many great things about One Piece. I want to see what the show is all sure. about. But I think that's such a nice move yeah. that Netflix is doing there. And then some major announcements uh, from the folks over at DC. We know who's playing Clark, and we know who's playing Lois in the upcoming Superman Let's talk about this. legacy film. Uh, so reading from an article on Variety.com, it says, DC Studios has knighted a new Clark Kent and Lois Lane. David uh, Cornsweat and Rachel Brosnahan will play the coveted parts in James Gunn's Superman Legacy. The latest on-screen iteration of the iconic comic book hero will largely be a workplace origin story. Gunn said when he and fellow DC steward Peter Safran laid out their narrative plans in January, Cornsweat, who broke out in Ryan Murphy's Netflix series Hollywood, will play cub reporter Kent in the fiction, at the fictional newspaper The Daily Planet, Brosnahan will play his co-worker and co-lead. Gunn is directing the projects from his own screenplay based on the character created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster. Safran uh, uh, will produce. Uh, the project is set for release on July 11th, 2025. Close quote. Love the castings. I do, too. That's friggin' awesome. Uh, also, we break the record of every Superman who has played the role after Christopher Reeve has gotten progressively shorter. Mm-hmm. Uh is taller than most of the other actors. I think he's about maybe an inch or inch shorter. No, he's taller than Christopher Reeve was. So you you can find it online. It's one of those wild facts. Like every actor who has played Superman after Christopher Reeve got progressively shorter. Even Tyler Hoechlin, mm-hmm. shorter, shorter, shorter. Uh, you the line for the graph goes significantly up with Cronswat. Yeah, absolutely nothing but win here. Nothing yeah. but win. Super excited about this. I have full faith in James Gunn. He's going to do this right because obviously Superman is the franchise. Mm-hmm. You, there's very little room for error. If he doesn't get this right, 
it's going to be a rough one for the new DC. Uh-huh. Not a good start. Uh, and then sticking with some DC news, we found out that there's going to be a new Suicide anime uh, coming out uh, some point uh, from Warner Brothers Japan. Uh, and the article from Crunchyroll reads, quote, Wit Studio, uh, who worked on rankings of Kings and Spy X Family, uh, and Warner Brothers Japan officially announced Suicide Squad Isekai, an anime collaboration featuring the iconic DC Comics anti-hero team at their Anime Expo 2023 panel on Monday. The, an- the anime project will be directed by Iri Osada with screenplays from uh, Taipei Nagasuki, uh, Re-Zero, Startling Life in Another World, and uh, Eiji Umehara, Vivi Florai Eyes Song. A first teaser visual was revealed at the panel, which it is a photo of an anime look of uh, Harley Quinn, which looks fantastic. That looks awesome. They, they tweeted out a little trailer, which looks awesome. Uh, the article goes on to say, Staff for the Suicide Squad Isekai project also include Akira Amano, who illustrated the visuals and is working on draft character designs, uh, Naoto Hosada on main, on main character designs, and uh, Kenichiro uh, Suihiro on music composition. Warner Brothers Japan will be managing the project's production with Wit Studio on animation pr- uh, production. Key staff from both teams released a statement in celebration of the project's reveal. Uh, it's one statement from Akira Amano said, uh, quote, I'm a big fan of Harley Quinn and the other characters in the Suicide Squad movie. It's an honor for me to be involved in the creation of Suicide Squad Isekai. Uh, Iri Osada's clear vision for Harley des- Harley's design made the process smoother than expected, and I enjoyed drawing her costume and muscles while imagining her action-packed adventures in the story. Uh, I'm excited to see how the talented animation staff brings Suicide Squad Isekai to life. Uh, so, not really sure when this is going to come out, but this looks super awesome. I agree with you, too. I mean, this one kind of reminds me a little bit about Batman Ninja. Yes, which I actually liked. Mm-hmm. Going to put it out there. So this one definitely has a great production team behind it, so I am super yeah. excited to check this out. Uh, and then lastly, certainly not least, from the folks over at DC, specifically the DC Comics, uh, there's a certain popular uh, comedy show that is officially canon in the DC Universe now. Oh? That would be The Office. What? Uh, yeah, so in the latest issue of Nightwing, that is issue 105, uh, we find out that uh, you've got Dick Grayson, a.k.a. Nightwing, and Batgirl uh, are running through, the, uh, running through the city. They're smashing into stuff, destroying stuff. They run into, into a certain office. That office looks a little familiar. Oh, my God. I'm showing Ken the, the panel there. Uh, very clearly on the right side, you see Dwight uh, going, are you bleeping kidding me? Uh, the panel then continues with the character running through the, the frame. Excuse us. Sorry. Uh, and then you see Jim going, I'll make sure the window get window gets fixed. But it, the background characters and other characters you, you see in the office are very clearly Dunder Mifflin. Mm-hmm. Very clearly. You can, you can see everybody there. Uh, but, yeah, so uh, the office is officially canon in D.C. That's awesome. Love it. I mean, it's Tom Taylor. You can't go wrong. You cannot go wrong there. No. All right, Pad, it is a short week, but it is still an important week at the comic shops. Yes. What are we looking to pick up this week? Speaking of Tom Taylor, uh, he has got a new issue of The Adventures of Superman, John Kent, issue number five out this week, so that is super awesome. Uh, you've got the Injustice Saga, Blood and Steel, continuing. Boy, that's been a good read. Highly, that's been a great read. Highly recommend that one. Uh, from the folks over at Marvel, you've got Star Wars, issue number 36. Charles Soule's still writing, so I really don't need to say anything else. Uh, don't believe me? Read it. True story. Prove me wrong. 
Uh, then also from Star Wars, you got the latest issue of Star Wars Yoda, issue number nine from Mark Guggenheim. This this story's been a lot of fun, a lot of fun tie-ins to some future stuff. You don't really need to know everything. Highly recommend you check this one out. And then lastly, certainly not leastly, from Greg Weissman, issue number seven, Gargoyles. Uh, description of this one, Demona is back, launching a new and exciting storyline. Gargoyles number seven is the perfect jumping on point for new readers. Goliath is in prison. Dino Draken is on the rampage, and Demona returns to Manhattan, determined to gather the three new keys to power. Do Brooklyn and the clan have a prayer of stopping her without Goliath? Um, probably not. Close quote. So this has been super awesome. Like we mentioned before, it is written by Greg Weissman, who was a part of the Gargoyles animated series when it was on Disney back in the 90s. Uh, so this is a direct continuation of the series, and it is so much fun to read if you are a fan of Gargoyles. Oh, absolutely. This one has been winning fans over left and right. I know yes, I've talked should. online. Uh, for me, Marvel, Captain America, 750. Hey. So you can never go wrong with that, especially on 4th of July week. And uh, obviously, if you're celebrating, I have a very happy and safe and healthy 4th of July. Absolutely. Uh, DC-wise, it's kind of a, a kickoff event because this is where they're having a lot of their books come out for the Night Terrors oh, yeah, yeah. event that's going on. So if you're checking that out, you got a lot of stuff to choose from this week. So I definitely want to take some time and dive in. But like I say, this is one that is going across a lot of different books. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have to take my time with this because i got a few other things on my docket this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, kicking off for Parlay Points this week, there is a series that is wrapping up. That I got to admit, I jumped in late. I am really mad that I jumped in late for it because it's been an exceptional series to pick up. Mm-hmm. And that is called I Hate This Place. Oh, okay. So issue number 10 coming out from Image Comics via Skybound Entertainment mm-hmm. has been, I'm telling you what, if you have not checked the series out, it's a shame that this is the series finale because this has been such an incredible read, uh, combining a lot of different elements, uh, centering around a horror aspect too, because you have a couple that uh, inherits a farm, and not everything is as dreamlike as you would think. Hmm. So the couple of Gabby and Trudy are dealing with the absolute living hell that is their new home, and how things have gone from point A to point B has been absolutely fantastic to check out. Kyle Starks is writing Artemum Topolin mm-hmm. and Lee Luridge are on the art duties and like they say if you haven't checked the series out do yourself a favor and do it uh issue 10 drops this week so you definitely want to check that out also image comics if you listen to this show you know we talk massiverse all day every day yes we do no one number four so the uh mysterious vigilante that is running through pittsburgh right now and the event that is taking place around it is adding its latest chapter so kyle higgins brian Buscelato, and geraldo Bordes. Uh, fantastic issue. Okay. Uh, cannot speak highly enough about this series, and you definitely want to make sure you're subscribing to the podcast, who is no one as well. Uh, new episode, I imagine, is dropping this week as well. So, like I say, if you are looking for something to really take a dive into, the Massiverse is absolutely crushing it right now. Also, Image Comics, one of my favorite series, and I think is one that's been very underrated, is Phantom Road. So, Phantom Road number five, Jeff Lemire, Gabriel Walta. Uh, absolutely is doing this really crazy supernatural horror story going on and it's diving more into like the conspiracy aspect from the last issue. Okay. Um, so like I say, this one definitely has got a lot of cool things going on with it and I definitely want, I I think more people need to check it out. Right. That's where I'm kind of going with this one. Last on my pull list for this week. And I definitely, I, 
super excited to see it return. The coolest book at the LCS, Grim number 11. Stephanie Phillips, Flaviano returning with everybody's favorite Reaper. Jessica Haro as the new chapter kicks off. Listen, if you haven't checked out Grimm, it's one of the best series out there each and every time. And I tell you what, I cannot wait to deep dive into this and see where we go from there. So like we say, a lot of good stuff to pick up at the comic shops this week. So as we always say on the ODPH, remember to go out and support your local comic shops wherever you're at and go support your favorite local comic podcast too because, you know, we like to talk to those books. We like to give you those recommendations. We like to have those conversations with you as well. And I would be hard-pressed not to give a shout-out to our good friends over at Top Hat Studios. Yeah. Because I know it's Kickstarter, so they're not in the comic shops per se, but the campaign for Horace and Hell is doing big numbers. Ooh. Absolutely big numbers. Almost at $10,000 for their Kickstarter. So, obviously, shout-out to Alan Dunford and the team at Top Hat. Absolutely killing this campaign. It wraps up Friday. Okay. So if you haven't checked this out, you need to go check this out. A lot of great incentive to do. We just did the episode with Alan on the over the weekend, so if you want to check that out, it'll give you more incentive to go support this. And like I say, everything wraps up Friday, July seventh. But go sign up early. You don't want to miss this. They're doing big things. And like I say, the response has been truly amazing. So shout out to everybody over at Top Hat and shout out to everybody at Nerd Initiative who got behind this as well absolutely killed this campaign so some very very highly recommended books to go check out this week with that being said for anything and everything that is the odph you can find it at odphpodcast.com that's all for this week entertainment wise so for the one only padawan j fuck elon musk <laughs> i'm your host ken thank you as always for listening to the odph podcast better known as the ocho duro parlay hour see you next time